You're listening to a sermon podcast from Agape Baptist Church, recorded live from our Sunday service. Good morning, church. The scripture reading for this morning is taken from Joshua chapter 7, verses 19 to 25, and Hosea chapter 2, verses 13 to 15. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to him, and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar, and two hundred shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing fifty shekels, then I coveted them and took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent, with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and behold, it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel. And they laid them down before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan the son of Zerah, and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold, and his sons and daughters and his oxen and donkeys, and sheep and his tent and all that he had. And they brought them up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. Hosea chapter 2 verses 13 to 15. And I will punish her for the feast days of the Baals when she burned offerings to them and adorned herself with ring and jewelry and went after her lovers and forgot me, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. All right, can you hear me now? Yeah. The Lord bless you, church. <laughs> it's good to be uh, back at the pulpit. Uh, such an honor to be here this morning. I have not preached uh, from the Agape pulpit uh, since Christmas Day last year. So it's almost six months. You know, I travel a lot in my work, and uh, uh, tomorrow, tomorrow night I'll be flying to London for a series of meetings. Uh, therefore, next Sunday is Youth Sunday, and so Pastor Nan will preach on cancel culture. That sounds like a very exciting sermon. Uh, and then, but I'm going to do a series of three sermons uh, uh, under the title Overcoming Cravings, and the first one is today, and then we'll have two more coming up after next Sunday. So we'll take a break next Sunday uh, because it is Youth Sunday and also because I'm out of town. And um, so this morning... We're going to look at craving generally, and then we will zero in on two of those dark inner cravings, not next Sunday, but the Sunday after. And we will we'll look at lust, and we'll look at anger. And so this is going to be a very practical series. Now, because of our depravity, people, given the fact that we are all fallen people, and sin is just in our hearts, that sin infects and affects all of us such that our desires 
although they may be good and necessary, are often become disordered. Our desires are so disordered that sometimes the good and necessary things in our lives become dark cravings. They become yearnings that can be very, very destructive. So this morning, we're going to look at the story of Achan that we just read just now to explore this whole concept of cravings, dark cravings or yearnings uh, that are in our hearts. And we look at it this way. Number one, we look at the depth of our cravings and then we will look at the steps in craving. Just look at the anatomy of craving. I mean, the way that it, it, it processes through our hearts. And then the last one is, of course, we need to get to the healing. So let's look at the first one, which is the depth of our craving. Now we read just now in Joshua chapter 7 and verse 19, then Joshua said to Achan, my son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to him and tell me now, this is Joshua, the commander, he said, and tell me now what you have done and do not hide it from me. It's amazing that when Joshua confronted him, Achan did not retaliate. Now, I find it a little remarkable. He did not make an issue to justify himself. He did not say, what do you mean I'm hiding something from you? I mean, he, he, he did not say, why are you singling me out, out of all the people? Why me? You know, those are some of the possible reactions when someone confronts you. But he didn't say any of that. He simply said, yeah, it's true. He immediately admitted to his wrong. Now, why was he so open to admit his wrong? Now, I think it's because people, Achan knew all along what God has said to the people, what God has said to them. When God took the people of, uh, the, the, took the children of Israel out of Egypt, and when he moved them out into the promised land, he laid a rule for them. He said to them that when you go out and conquer these cities, you will find that there will be exploits, all right? But you are not to plunder any of those, of those things that you find in your conquest for yourself. Do not be like the other nations. The other nations, they are hungry for national power. They are hungry for private wealth. But, O oh Israel, not you. When you conquer, you are not to plunder. I am the Lord God who is giving you this land. So whenever you conquer, you take a city, all the money that you will find, all the wealth that you will see in the city, you know, you will not take them as a booty for yourself. You will never see it as plunder. The plunder is not yours. It will be collected. It will go to the building of a tabernacle and later on uh, to the building of a temple which will become the house of worship for all of the people of God, but it's not for you. You see, that was critical to their very identity as a people of God. That was what it meant for them to honor God. See, people, honoring God is a very practical thing. It's not just conceptual. It's not something that you feel in your heart and know in your mind. It must find its expression in what you do with your life. And the way it was, it, it was absolutely critical that they do not take the plunder so that they honored God. 
This is how they honored God as they conquered the land. This is, the rule was laid down and everybody knew it and everybody knew at the very heart of it that this is what it means to honor God when they conquered a piece of land or a, or, or a city because it was God who enabled them to do it and the plunder belongs to the Lord. And you violate that rule, you will be destroyed. And that was how serious it was. And Achan knew this rule very well. And when Achan saw what he saw, I mean like, they conquered, and he saw these this material things, the gold, the silver, he saw it all. His heart so coveted for those things that he took it for himself anyway, although he knew that what he was doing was wrong. He knew how bad it was. He knew what, how serious the consequences were going to be, and yet he did it. And therefore, when he was confronted by Joshua, he said, yeah, yeah, I did it. He immediately admitted to it. Now, people, listen. What's the point here? What's the point for us? i tell you what the point is. The point is this. Our craving is so strong that it overcomes our conscience. It overcomes our understanding. It overcomes our reason. Eventually, it overcomes our, our fear of consequences even our sense of self-preservation. And this is what happened to Achan. Now listen, listen real carefully. This is true of all of us. You and I know that there are certain cravings and there are certain dark desires in our soul that we will do anything to get them, even if it means we lose everything else when we get them. You get what I mean? Achan did. And that's what a craving is. The human heart can crave for certain things with such intensity that pursuing them becomes self-destructive. You will want to get them even if it means that you lose everything else. That's how bad it is. And this is what happened to Achan. He wanted the plunder so badly, his conscience was dulled. And he didn't care that he might lose everything when he gets his craving. He threw reason to the wind. He didn't even care about his own self-preservation. C.S. Lewis, uh, in, in the Chronicles of Narnia, it's a book that I think is great for, for us to read. Uh, the series of books uh, is good for our children to read them. But in, uh, it, he tells the story where the witch gives this character, Edmund, some Turkish delight. You know, you have eaten Turkish delight, haven't you? It's like so sweet. And the Turkish delight is enchanted. So in the books, The Silver Chair, this is how it comes out. This is how C.S. Lewis writes it. He says that anyone who had once tasted it would want more and more of it and would even, if they were allowed, go on eating till they kill themselves. That you throw reason to the wind. That you don't care for the consequences. That you want it so badly that even though you know that by getting it, you're going to lose everything else, you rather have it. We, we get a picture of this in Numbers 11. In Numbers 11, we are told that the children in Israel have been going through the wilderness 
And God has given to them manna, a type of bread, you know, uh, to eat. But they now wanted mead. Now, there's nothing wrong with wanting mead, all right? I mean, I think that, that was okay. Everyone needs a bit of variety, you know. But the Old Testament word for this is not just wanting meat. They were lasting for meat. Now, that's different. We're going to take the word lust and pack it somewhere. Two weeks' time, we come and revisit that word. Now, and God said, I'll give you meat. But because you are craving it, because you are lasting for it, he, he makes a remarkable statement in verse 20 and 21. And this is how it comes out. And he says, now the Lord will give you meat and you will eat it. You will not eat it for just one day or two days or five days or 10 days or 20 days, but for a whole month until it comes out from your nostrils and you loathe it. People, sin makes us desire some things to the place that we want it beyond what's good for us. We want it beyond reason. We want it beyond our conscience. We want it no matter what. Now, let me give you some examples. For example, for example, a hypochondriac is somebody who wants health so much. They want to be healthy so much, they're afraid, they're, and they're so afraid of losing their health that they actually lose it. You can be a hypochondriac and say that, you know what, I'm so afraid of going out. I may catch a virus. I'd rather stay at home. You know, so that I, I'm protected from infections. They wear a mask even around their house. They're so afraid that their children's health will be, will be impacted. So they don't allow their kids to go and play outdoors or to play with other children. But you know what's the best way to stay healthy? You need sunshine. You need fresh air. You need to exercise. You need social interactions. You need good sleep and, 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 and good nutrition. But the hypochondriac avoids most of these things. Maybe he exercises, but he does it in his house. Maybe he eats well, but he's afraid to go out get, uh, and, and mingle with, amongst people, get some sunshine. He is so afraid of losing his health that he actually loses it. Another example. There are some spouses who are so afraid of losing their spouse or losing their partner that they actually lose their spouse. They get so jealous, or they become so dependent, or they become controlling and unreasonable to the point that they lose their spouse. And you can go on and on and on. There are some relationships that have become toxic because you become too possessive in that friendship. Like, you know, your, you, 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 you tell your friend, if you friend her, I don't friend you. Have you heard that before? You know, why are you talking to her so much? You should be talking to me. Why are you giving her that so much attention? You see, you want your friend so badly, you eventually lose your friend. Your craving kills you. You want something so badly, you never actually get it. And there are things we crave. And because we crave them, we crave them out of proportion. So much so that it hurts us. Now listen, have you ever reflected on why you are often depressed or discouraged? Or sometimes why you all of a sudden break out in a fit of rage that surprises you and everybody else? Do you know why? Why do you do that? 
if you look deep into your soul, you will find that there actually is something deep inside that you want immoderately. You want it inappropriately. Your friend is giving you attention, but you want more attention. Your spouse is giving you affection, but you want much more affection. Your boss does affirm you, but you want that affirmation to be louder. You want it to be made public. You want it to go out in an email to every other staff in the office. You just don't want it to be private. It's never enough. You just want too much of it. If only you would say, hey, I really like to have that. It's nice to have it, it's, it, it but it's not critical. If I, if I don't get attention, I mean, if I do get affection and attention and affirmation, well, that's great. Thank God for that grace. But if I don't get them, well, it's still okay. It's not that critical. Well, you might be disappointed, but you wouldn't be bitter. Oh, well, you might be irritated, but you, may, you will not be petrified. In other words, people, it will not kill you. At the bottom of almost all our discouragements, at the bottom of all our, our deepest difficulties, it is our desire, it is our desires taking on inordinate proportions. It's craving gone crazy in our soul. And this is what happened to Achan. He knew if he gave in to that craving, he would die. Not just him, he and his family, but he threw reason to the wind. The craving blinded his conscience. He gave in to that craving, and the craving killed him. He had to have it so much so that he lost everything. Now, people, if that is the depths of our craving, then what's the anatomy of it? What are the steps in craving? Now, there are four steps. Achan does not, you know, Achan does not immediately get into the grip of this thing. It actually takes from one step to the other step to the other step. So there are actually four steps, and it comes up to us in this, in, in, in the, primarily in verse 21. And Achan answered Joshua, truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. Now in verse 21, he explains what he did. When I saw among the spoil of a beautiful cloak from China, and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels. Then I coveted them and took them, and see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent and with the silver underneath. There are four steps, people. Four steps in craving. And it comes out in this verse, in verse 21. The first step, he says, is I saw, I gazed. I saw. This is how temptation always works. The word saw here is not a Hebrew word that would mean notice. It's a word that is usually translated behold, but in this case it's translated I saw. You know, whenever in the Old Testament you, you have the word behold, it doesn't mean just to notice something. It means to look, look, look. Have you done that before? 
Like, you know, in church you come, you kind of, sometimes you notice, sometimes you don't notice some, someone. But let's say that you're a young man and you saw a young lady for the first time, and then you realize, oh, this person is something. And you look, look, look. You have just beheld. Behold means to hold it, to put it in the center of your attention. It is captured in your soul. You hold it with a prolonged gaze. You notice the first step in temptation is not coveting. Coveting is actually step number three. The first step of temptation is moving beyond just noticing to gazing. I could imagine that, you know, in, 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 in all that, that, that the chaos of the, of, of, of the, of the, of the battle and, and whatever happened, that, you know, that the Achan was just walking past and then he noticed something glittering from the ground. And he looked. And he could have just walked away and said, this is none of my business. Somebody else has been assigned to pick up all the plunder and bring it and put it aside. Instead, he gazed and he looked and he beheld. That's the first step. I mean, you can't help but notice them to gaze the first step. Just being open, just being able to, 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 to look at, at a forbidden thing that, 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 that you do without recoiling, that's the first step I beheld. And then the second step is this. He said, I wait. Now, that doesn't kind of come up clearly. You may ask me this question, where, where? I don't see the word wait at there. It doesn't say in the text. Well, it's a, it's a natural conclusion. i tell you why. A beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver, and a weight of gold weighing 50 shekels. How did he know all that unless he weighed it? By looking at it, you can't tell that it is 200 uh, uh, shekels of silver. I mean, you've you, you got to weigh it. So... People, he must, have, he must have weighed it to be able to know how much he, 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 he gazed, he counted, he weighed, and, and in order to know it. Now, here's what he's doing, people. The theological term for what he is doing is he is giving these this, this items glory. He's giving them glory. In Hebrew, the word glory has both a physical and a spiritual connotation. In Hebrew, the word glory means literally and physically weight. Now, many of you know that. It means importance. It means value. And Achan knew about the honor of God. He knew about the honor of the people. But when he saw the plunder, he weighed them in his heart, and the cravings of the plunder outweighed the honor of God and the honor of Israel. It became more important to him than God. He allowed his senses to be captivated by them. He gave these things glory. And people, whatever you give glory to, you will serve. Whatever you give glory to, you will worship. And the result of these two things, the gazing, and the weighing led on to the third thing, the coveting. He says, okay, I gazed at them, I weighed them, and of course by now, I coveted them. And what is coveting? 
Coveting is simply this, is, the, is to worship something. Coveting is to adore something. Because you are giving it a lot of value. You're giving it a lot of honor. You're giving it glory. You're giving it time. You're giving it attention. You're giving it affection. You're giving it your, 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 your heart, your mind. Your soul is entering into it. Your emotions are tied up to it. You are coveting it. Whatever you glorify, you will worship and you will be drawn to it. And Achan's heart was inflamed now and there was really virtually no stopping after this because then the fourth step comes and the final step of it is, is I gaze, I wait, I coveted, I took. That's what happened. He took it. Now, when you, when you see it here, you see this whole process step by step, and you really see it in slow motion. But people, in reality, it really happens very quickly. You move, I mean, you don't, you don't gaze and go home and wait for two days and come back and wait, and then after they go back, one week later, come back and cover it, and then after that, two weeks later, take it. It always happens very quickly. Because if you were to do that waiting, you, you will break it. And, but this kind of shows us in slow motion. So now let's come to the final part, the healing. The healing of the craving. Okay, if, if that is how the craving works, how are we healed from it? People, for some of us, this is very, very practical. Some of us here have been struggling with a particular sexual problem. Or it could be that there is a relational issue. For some others of us, we have inordinate cravings that is eating up our lives, keeping us in depression, low self-esteem, guilt, discouragement, frustration, whatnot. Maybe you have this desperate desire just to be loved by a friend, or to be loved by your own children, or to be loved by a family member. As a result, our lives are run by it. We want it so much that our lives are being run by it. How do we get healed? Well, in the steps of craving, we outline three steps before we got, we got to the fourth step. You remember the, fir the first three steps? I gazed, I weighed, I, I coveted, and then only I took. You see, at any one of these first three places, you can actually break the chain. You can break the chain. You can get off the road. It's almost like you're on a highway and you can take an exit path before you get into destruction. The first tree, but if you pass the first tree, you will take it. So that, that's how it works. Now, so let me tell you, let me just give you three things for, for, for this to happen, the healing to our cravings. Number one, be acutely aware of what you're gazing at. That's the first thing. Now people, it's okay to notice, you cannot avoid noticing. You will notice things, but don't gaze at them. Beware what you're gazing at. Nip it at the butt. Now, to help you not to gaze, you can hold yourself accountable to someone. For example, if you get this urge to watch porn, you can quickly call out someone and, and say, that, hey, you know what, buddy, could you please pray with me right now because I'm getting this, this urge? And then you break the chain as you pray together. Or uh, you could share with a cell member that you feel slighted by your boss, 
I, I mean, and it's eating you up right now. Your thoughts want to weigh in on that more and more. And, 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 and you, 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 call, you call your cell member and say, would you please pray with me to break the chain and exit the path of destruction so that you stop thinking about such things. If you tend to spend excessively and immoderately, like every time you walk into a shopping center, you never come out empty. You always come out with a lot of bags, you know? Or every time you go to the food court, you eat, to, you eat until the food comes out through your ears. You know, you, you, all these issues. I mean, come on, don't go, you know. Don't go to a buffet, for example. You know, or, or just, just, just break the chain. Take your credit card and cut it. Nip it at the butt. You know, just end it. Now, I remember a long time ago, when I was uh, in my first few years of, of, of being a pastor, of this church, I was ministering to a man about his addiction with pornography. And I was in his home, and we were talking about breaking the chain. And after we had prayed, he stormed into his room and brought out a whole box of pornographic VCDs. You know, those days, we used VCDs. Some of you pretend like you do not know, yeah, but <laughs> they, were, they were VCDs, you know, we used those VCDs. And so he was, had a whole box of pornographic VCDs that he just, he just, he just uh, threw it at me, you know, and just gave it to me. And then he went in again to the room and took up some pornographic magazines and he put them all into the box and said, you take it. <laughs> he said, I don't want it anymore. I want to break the chain. And I held it and said, I was shocked. It was now, this, his problem is becoming my problem. <laughs> you know, it's like, I didn't want to say to him, you go and get rid of it. You know, because in case he changes his mind. And I said goodbye for him, and I carried the box out of his house. And I went to the lift, and, you know, I was hoping nobody would come into the lift, because they peep in. And I, I lifted to him all the time, hoping that nobody would watch it, so in case they... They think that I'm a porn addict or something. And, and I wonder what to do with the box. I put it in the boot of my car, and I drove back to the office. The office was here those days. You know, this, this, this Dorset office. And all the time, my heart was beating hard. And you know when that is happening, that there's an urge to gaze. You know, my heart was beating so hard, and his monkey was now sitting on my shoulder. And, and, and I remember driving, uh, driving around and, and praying, and then I, I saw a, a, a rubbish dump behind, you know, right behind our church, way back there, there's a rubbish dump near the coffee shop there. And then I took the whole box, I looked around, make sure there's nobody around. I wonder why I always was thinking, why should I hear? I'm so afraid that people will see me. And I dumped it there, prayed that it would not reach anyone else. I don't know who eventually got it, or God, I mean, it was destroyed. But people... That is what you have to do, exit the highway of destruction. Kill the craving before it kills you. Now people, we all should memorize scriptures, but if there's one quote I would like you to memorize, is this one by John Owen. Very easy. Kill sin or it will kill you. <clears throat> and I think it's so deeply powerful. If you don't kill sin, it will kill you. Now, the second thing is this. Learn to gaze at the beauty of Jesus. Now, see, the first is negative. The first that I gave to you for the healing is negative. 
Stay away. Stop it. Turn your mind away from it. Don't think about it. Have accountability. Call a buddy up. Nip it at the bud. Cut the card. Throw away those, those, those stuff. Those, but the negative will not be enough. You don't have the power. That's the reason why we find ourselves disappointed. Like, hey, I've done all the right things, but I'm still struggling with it. Like, how is it that I'm never being able to deliver with it? So if you look at Hebrews chapter 12, it, it just doesn't say, uh, throw, it doesn't say, let us just lay aside every weight, lay aside every sin, which clings so closely. That is what Paul does. But he doesn't just stop there. He goes on to the more, more powerful thing. And the more powerful thing is this. In order to be able to do that part in verse 1, you need this part in verse 2. Looking at Jesus, gazing at Jesus, fixing your eyes upon Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. You see, you need both. You need to stop gazing at sin, and then you need to deepen your gaze on Christ. Thomas Chalmers was a Scottish mathematician, economist, and at the same time a pastor. What a combination in the 19th century. And he made this statement that I think, uh, I just love this. He says, the one way you can ever release, the only way you can ever release the soul from the power of a beautiful object is to give it a more beautiful object. You get that? The only way you can ever release a soul from the power of a beautiful object is to give it a more beautiful object. In other words, there are no way that, there's, there's no way that you can simply say, I want to turn my eyes and my mind from this beautiful object. I just want to turn it away on which I'm fixed right now. I just want to stop it. I just want to make an exit. It's not possible. That's what you should do. But you don't have the power to do that. The only way to break the power of a beautiful object on your heart is to give it a more beautiful object. Now, people, how do you do that? This is where if you've been sleeping through the entire sermon, this is where you've got to listen. Listen well. You will need to make it your life's ambition, your life's pursuit to see Jesus as more beautiful than everything else in your world. Everything else, including your spouse, your children, your whatever you consider beautiful to you, because they can kill you. And you've got to see Jesus as more beautiful than everything else in the world. You've got to make it your pursuit, your ambition. Now listen, people, not just useful but beautiful. A lot of people come to Jesus because He is useful. He heals my diseases. He answers my prayers. He comforts me. He gives me this and He gives me that. And people, all that He does and all that is good, praise to His name. But it is not enough to take you to the next level of your relationship with Him and to break the chain unless you are determined to see Him as beautiful. Now, how do you see Him as beautiful? I tell you, people, from my experience, it takes a certain discipline. It's something that you need to cultivate in your soul. 
It takes preaching the gospel to yourself, having a deep appreciation, understanding and love for the gospel, knowing that despite the ugliness of your soul, despite your dark inner cravings, and the fact that you continually value and honor and glorify lesser things, God continues to love you, that He pursues you, that He dies to save you, although you are utterly undeserving, and therefore He is beautiful. He's not just useful, He is beautiful. You've got to meditate on that, reflect on that. You've got to resound that to yourself. You've got to remember that again and again and again. I love the word again right now because when I play with my grandchildren, they always tell me, again. And then you do the same thing. They say, again. You know, and that's what we need with, in our relationship with God as His children. Lord, I need to hear this again. You know, I need to see your beauty again. Again and again and again until the truth explodes in your soul. And that is the reason why I say it's a discipline. In 1982, there was a plane crash into the Potomac River near Washington, D.C. in the United States. There was a man when the, crash just, the, 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 when, when the plane went down into the river, into the icy river on a winter morning. As he went down, there was a man by the name of Lenny Skutnit. He was not a passenger on the plane. He was a bystander who was just standing by the bridge, you know, at the, at, at the bridge, watching, just watching over the river, and he saw the plane just go down. And after the plane crashed, plunged plunge into the icy waters, Lenny bravely dived into that frigid, frozen river multiple times to rescue the survivors. Finally, the last time that he dived in to save one more person, he himself didn't make it, and he died. Of course, rescuers went, down, went, went, went deep to find his body, and when they brought his body up out of the waters, the people, especially those people who him had saved, who he had saved, who were now, you know, in blankets, sitting down, shivering, watching, when they saw him come up, the cops come up, that they would stand up, that they would applaud, that they would tear, they would cry, and they all knew that He was beautiful. People, Jesus dived into the fiery wrath of God that burned against your evil cravings and sins to save you. He got burned for you. Do you see Him as beautiful? Are you awed by Him? Do you adore Him? Do you want to glorify Him? Do you want to honor Him? Is He beautiful to you or is He just useful? You see, when you see Him as more and more beautiful, you actually heal. Something changes in your soul. You become more beautiful as a result. You ascribe beauty to Him, you become beautiful. You heal. People, it's therefore 
It's important not just to break the chain. It's also important to gaze at Jesus and to see him beautiful. And let me give you the last thing as we close. Repent. Now, this, this is for those of us who have already gone past exit one, exit two, exit three, and gone to, ex gone to the fourth thing, and we have taken it. You know, we have, we have taken it. We say, let's say that you've given in, and you've taken the forbidden thing, and you're in the path of destruction. You have plunged into the valley of alcohol. What do you do? You repent. If your life has fallen apart because it's gone too far, God says this to you. He says in Hosea 2 verse 15, and there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Echo a door of hope. The valley of Echo is where Achan and his family were stoned and burned. It was there that Achan suffered destruction, but God says, the very valley of Echo will now become the door of hope, so repent. You may already been stoned and burned because you have gone just too far into a place in your life where your cravings have destroyed your life. And you may think that my life is over, but God says no. No, I tell you, if you repent and come back and learn again to gaze at the beauty of my son, I can rebuild you from the ground up and I can make the valley of echo a door of hope for your life. The hope he gives us, he gives to us as broken sinners makes him so beautiful, so worthy of our worship, so worthy of our lives. And that worship of God, people, when you worship him in all of his beauty, it always heals you. Instead of being destroyed, you will be reconstructed because he gives you life. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Our Father, we come before you, Lord, to ask, O oh God, that you soften our hearts before you, that, Lord, that you will turn us around in the depths of our being, that we will desire the beauty of Christ, that, Lord, that we will make it our life ambition and pursuit to gaze at the beauty of our Lord, to understand the gospel, appreciate the gospel, to ravish in Christ, oh God. So that these lesser desires, Lord, that are so destructive, these cravings that go out of proportion, become crazy in our soul, that they will be put to naught, that we will be able then find the power to break the chain and to make our exits before we end up in self-destruction. So help us, Lord. Give us a love for the gospel, a yearning, a desire. Return us to the word, O oh Lord. Enable us to cry from the depth of our souls that we need you, O oh Lord. We need you. We need you not just to be useful, 
We need you, O oh Lord, to be seen as beautiful. So help us, O oh Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast. You can find more of our sermons online on our website at www.agape.org.sg.